Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood, and with me this evening is my good friend and co-host, Chad Mitz. Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world of genre movie news. So, Chad, there's this thing. It's called Top Gun. It keeps making money. Money after money after money. Your thoughts, sir, on Tom Cruise jet-setting his way to the number two box office number in its 12th weekend of release. It's number two this week? Yep. Wow. Okay, so I've been completely out of pocket all day today, so I didn't even check the box office stuff. Um, That is insane that it's three months in and it's back up to number two. Now, what that does tell me is that the box office this week um, is probably the lowest it's been all this summer. And I don't think there yeah. were many wide Bullet releases. Train, Bullet Train finished with $13 million, So yeah. yeah. Okay, so there weren't many wide, wide releases. Bullet Train was the last wide release last week. Um, so, you know, that kind of, that, you know, you think about it and it kind of lowers what what the, the money totals are. But still, it's it's crazy because I know it was like six or seven last week. And then it jumped all the way back up to uh, number two. So jumping back over movies that have been out less time than it and people have had less of a chance to see. And it's already back at number two that it's really wild. And this is just a movie that, you know, I certainly didn't think could, could do it. And most people didn't think could do it. And here it is just this box office juggernaut. And again, I think it's going to be the shining example when it comes to studios evaluating, are we sticking everything on 45 day windows and then putting it on our streaming service? Or are we going to, uh, wait and see how they perform and then uh, evaluate when we put it on streaming because I know Top Gun is kind of unique in the fact that, you know, a lot of people want to see it on the big screen because of uh, the way it's shot and the action scenes and whatnot. But I have to think that it takes somewhat of a nosedive um, after 45 days, if it's on uh, Paramount plus right now. So, uh, it keeps signaling a lot of things. It keeps making Paramount a lot of money. And yeah, nobody thought this was coming. Yeah, I mean, I knew when I went to that preview screening that it was different and that it was going to be bigger than any of us thought. But to the tune of $1.38 billion, probably not. Um, a lot of it is just... It's a four-quadrant movie in a way that not many of the other films this summer have been. It had a legacy tied to it, but it's really just a fun movie for everybody. And that's that's kind of the thing, is that it's just a fun movie for everybody. And that holds up. And it's crazy that Cruz is just going to have all of this capital again <laughs> to go make another Mission Impossible, two more Mission Impossible movies he has coming out for Paramount. Yeah. A studio that, by the way, was in such desperate times, they were literally selling off anything they had during COVID to uh, to streamers. That's right. I forgot about that. That's how uh, Amazon ended up with uh, coming to America. Uh, which was apparently underrating and disappointing for most folks, which I was sad about. Uh, did you ever watch it? I did. Okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't hate it, but I can't recommend it to anybody. Just your reminder that Eddie Murphy was supposed to go on tour prior to COVID. That's right. That's right. Because... Uh, he still got that deal with Netflix. Uh, I I hope that happens. Um, I know he said that he wanted to 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 do the to film those specials. He had to go out in the clubs and work on his material for however long until he felt it was good. And then COVID hit, so that, I think that kind of put the kibosh on it. But hopefully, he'll still do that because I will shell out the money to go see Eddie Murphy. It can be garbage, be straight garbage. How many times am I going to get in my life to say I got to go see an Eddie Murphy show? As far as I know, the last tour he did, I was six. So, yeah. Yeah, and he was supposed to come to New Orleans and Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need that to happen. I need that to happen hopefully next year. All right. So let's talk about some more of these box office numbers because they they had some interest. There was some interesting news in in this uh, in this late 
Uh, Bullet Train finished with the uh, weekend off with 13.1 million in the lowest grossing form frame of the summer. Nope, um, nope, crossed 100 million and is now sitting at 113 million domestic. Uh, Jordan Peele becomes one of the few writer, directors, producers to start with three straight films all crossing $100 million. Um, so that's there. Uh, Minions Rise of Guru has passed $790 million at the global box office. Um, Thor Love and Thunder is sitting at seven twenty eight dollars uh, at this point and has passed, uh, uh, has passed Thor Ragnarok. Um, so those are some of your... Uh, some of your box office headlines. Well, Minions hitting a bill, hitting almost a billion is not a surprise. I, I think all of the fit. Well, not all of the. Um, like I know this fiscal will mean three at least, and the official Minions movie both made a billion. And even though, I mean, I still haven't seen this one. I'd imagine this. I haven't seen. Actually, I haven't seen the Minions either. Um, I would imagine that they both play about the same. And I know lots of adults are sick of the Minions. I'm not sick of them, but uh, their stick, they they could expand upon it. It doesn't seem like they are, but people are buying it. And it making a billion dollars was not a big, a big shock to me. It is a big shock to me in comparison to what Lightyear did, which the contrast in those things I did not think would be so great. Um, Thor, Thor making being over seven hundred is not a surprise. I thought it'd be closer to eight. Um, I don't think it'll get to eight, but you know, I think there'll be. I think they. I'm curious what Disney's and uh, what they expected from this movie. Because in the the grand scheme of Thor, this seems to be like seven hundred seems to be where Thor kind of like taps out. But it, were they expecting that, or were they expecting this bump from Ragnarok, being that it's following Ragnarok and it has all the same people that did Ragnarok? Were they expecting it to make? I don't think they ever expect to make a billion, but you know, closer to nine, maybe. I don't know, but it's not a. I don't think it's a disappointment by any means and good on jordan peele for for having another hundred million dollar movie um yeah that guy should keep doing whatever he wants expanding his uh expanding his experience and and telling whatever story that he wants and this is more this will be more for you like when he wants to do whatever nobody's going to tell him no because he's had three hits in a row so that's good. Uh, Thor is uh, had another eleven point five million this weekend worldwide to bring its internet its global total to seven hundred twenty. Seven twenty, yeah, it's not going to hit. Um, yeah, eight. Um, to your point about Top Gun Maverick, it shot up two percent versus last week. You see, it, but anything in the plus is crazy, and I'm looking in right here where it's just theater counts. Bullet Train has stayed the same. Uh, Super Pets dropped 500 plus theaters. Um, Thor uh, dropped 200 plus theaters. Nope, dropped 200 plus theaters. Top Gun added 421. It's everything about this is just insane. Indeed. Um, In news that will make Chad happy, um, where the Crawdads sing has now grossed $72.1 million domestic. Do you know what movie it will pass next week? No. With uh, $72.1 million, next week it is projected to pass Morbius, the Living Vampire, at $73.7 million. <sighs> Morbius just keeps on losing, man. Keeps on losing. Uh, there you go, Sony. You can't all, they can't all be... Uh, uh, they can't all be nowhere home. No way homes. Nope, they cannot. Uh, they cannot. Uh, particularly if you're doing them by yourself, and they're not animated. Um, Black Phone, uh, the horror movie, uh, debuted on Peacock this week, but uh, added another million dollars to its bankroll this week. 
meaning it is made 87 million over eight weeks. Yeah. Uh, on a film that costs less than 30 million to make. Yeah. Uh, Universal just hit, uh, they did something. I, uh, what's the numbers? They did what Marvel did. Well, not Marvel, what Disney did in 2019 with their, uh, their box office total over the summer, which was some insane number, like three or 4 billion, something like that. Uh, yeah. A lot of that coming from the, uh, from the wonderful folks at, uh, Jurassic world. Well, it's, well, it's Jurassic world and the dang minions. The, those are the ones that are doing all the heavy lifting, which is, it's kind of like, I saw that stat before we went over these numbers uh, and the fact that neither, at least last time I checked, uh, Jurassic World nor Minions have crossed a billion, yet they did the heavy lifting. And you have stuff like Black Phone and oh, what else did Universal release? There's a couple other things they released that made enough when you combine them all and give them over whatever that mark is. And I think it's three billion. It's a it's a really interesting time for sure. Um uh, bodies, bodies, bodies expanded a little bit over the weekend. It now has uh, made three point two million dollars um, over the course of its run. Um, and another in other news, Lucasfilm has announced that they will be showing screening um, uh, Rogue One back in theaters uh, Labor Day weekend. Oh, okay. To should... uh, to get people hyped for Andor. Okay, that, that's that is fun. Uh... I can't forget Andor comes out. So that is a that is actually a good thing. That should get more people uh buzzed about it. Um uh the Universal IMAX exclusive re-release of ET uh racked up 1.1 million in 360 pre uh, venues, averaging $3,000 in ticket sales per venue. So like that's the thing that also happened this week. I didn't know that was this weekend. Man. I'm about to see I wish they do it on more than one weekend because uh, I have not seen E.T. in years. Ooh, I might. I don't think I've watched E.T. since my kid was born, so it's probably pushing like 15 years. I don't know if she's ever seen it, uh, and I know I've never seen it in the theater because I was one. No, I wasn't even one when it came out, so uh, I would have liked to have seen it on the big screen, on the IMAX, and... uh just one to just say that I have, and two just because I have not watched the movie. I don't movie think it's so a limited long. engagement. I think they're going to let it run for a couple of weeks. Again, we're in the dog days of August. Uh, theaters are looking for content to to fill screens because they can't they can't make money running the where the crawdads sing on seven screens. <laughs> no, but they can with a uh, freaking Top Gun. Indeed. Um, so in other box off, in other just uh, comic book movie news this week, um, I wanted to bring to your attention a property that is, uh, you know, I know is very near and dear to your heart, and oh that uh, the Craven the Hunter movie has an update from its star who is on a press tour because he's in a Bullet Train, and Aaron right. Taylor Joy, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yes. Um, yes, he says that the entire film will, uh, he says that the entire film will shoot on location. Give me a second here. Uh, um, I think I saw something about that. All I saw was the location part. I didn't see anything else. Yeah. Uh, it's being shot entirely on location. Uh, and he says that, uh, he says that, uh, quote, Craven being shot entirely on location is going to make all the difference. It's going to add something really beautiful to our personal story. It also sets Craven apart from that Marvel stage look. It's important for this character be to be in the real world. It's important for the of authenticity of the story. When you're running on streets barefoot, you take in those elements and play within that. <clears throat> so, the okay, that's fine. Um... It felt like it felt like a minor dig with the Marvel stage look. That's fine. Uh, Craven is a type of character 
I mean, depending on the story, but you should be able to you should be able to make a Craven movie for the most part practically. So that that sounds all well and good. Um, again, my only concern, well, my 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 issues with that movie remain that first and foremost, Craven is a great Spider-Man villain, and you are going to make a Craven movie without Spider-Man. Again, you're trying to strike this Venom, uh, the same Venom thing. And I don't think it's going to work with everybody. But again, and, but outside of that, um, it's so, it's, again, it's Sony doing it by itself. For the sake of everyone involved, I hope it's good. But I, I really think it's a mistake to not pair Craven with Spider Man. But here we are. I just have to deal with it. So good luck to him. Hope the practical stuff works out. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, I just think it's a, it's an interesting take, again, with the artsy-fartsy. Uh, I am running barefoot through the garden, therefore I am a better actor giving a better performance. <sighs> yeah. I but see... Again, it just depends on what that movie, what that, what this movie is, because I know, and they were like, uh, you know, the spy shots where they're like actually on, New, like it looks like they were in New York from the, what I saw. So you know that could just be part of it or whatnot. But I'm thinking you don't put Craven in New York again without Spider Man. So this should be out in some Savannah somewhere. That's where most of the story should take place. But again, don't know what the hell they're doing. And I don't think that they know either. So there's that. Nope. They just know Craven, Spider-Man, money. Let's go. Indeed. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the news on the Batgirl front. Because uh, things have been leaking out. Uh, things have <laughs> well, been leaking in the internet, as we all assumed that they eventually would. Uh, your thoughts on some of the leaked, uh, leaked action footage? Um, some of the stills that the star of the film has put out, um, and some of the other uh, other stuff that the directors have been saying about the film. So I've I've really only seen I've seen the pictures, the stills. I haven't seen any of the action stuff. Um, for as far as the still goes, it's like I think Warner Brothers made them pull it down relatively quickly. I don't know, but they. I don't know if that has anything to do with the, you know, the write-off situation that nothing from this movie can be seen. If that is the case, I understand it's still fruit of the poison tree, which me for me meaning that it's still a this is still a crappy situation and to even pull these pictures down, even if it's because of that it's just further crappy situation. But if but if they if they has no, no implications on the tax a portion of this little equation. It's just a dick move for them to like tell the people involved to take down the steals. Uh footage, I understand. If they're actual footage that leaked, um why I don't begrudge the people that may have put it up because they worked on this. They want people to see I mean, it. That is how Deadpool got greenlit. That that is very much how uh Deadpool got greenlit and I mean um as we speak I may or may not have the animatics to the Popeye animated movie that I want to see so long. They may or may not be in a place that I might see them at some point in the future. And the studio clearly does not want people to see that kind of stuff. And I understand why. But I also understand the artists that put their time into this stuff and they can't get people to see it. And, and in a world where Deadpool was dead, completely, totally dead, and then the the animatics for the opening scene leaks, and not only does it come back, it is, I, I mean, it's officially a part of the MCU. As soon as they make a third movie, they won. They did this, and they won, and they forced the studio's hand to make a movie that people wanted to see. It's not going to work out that way with this situation, as far as I understand, I don't think there's any way around the tax write off. You write it off. You can't make any money from it. I don't know what kind of penalties they pay if they have to do it. So with this decision, I don't see think we see this movie for a very long time until 
It probably has to take Warner Brothers changing hands again to see it. But I don't think steals hurt anybody. These people, these people work together and they want to show something off. Uh, one argument I did see against the steals was that uh, it does. The one that I saw Leslie Grace put up, it had her with Michael Keaton's Batman. And one of the arguments I heard was that, you know, Warner Brothers wants to still wants to keep Keaton's Batman officially under wraps because, again, he's still in the Flash movie that's coming out. So they can save that reveal for that. And in that case, I understand. I understand that they want to keep that reveal, but you got to throw them a bone some way. Let them put, if they want to put something up, let them put something up that doesn't interfere with your future plans. Uh, I mean, for the most part, most of them can give a damn about your future plans because you just scrap their future plans, but it's, it's all part of that crappy situation. So I, like I get why the studio will pull some stuff, but I, ultimately understand why the artists are doing the things they're doing. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's one of those things where, um, we've made fun of Josh Trank for a long time, right? Like we, <laughs> we've made fun of the fact that like the dude on the night that the movie came out, is like, I had a good version of this movie three years ago. No one will ever see it. So fine. Um, and we made fun of the fact that he went to director's jail for that. Rightly so, right? Like, you tanked any chance that... You helped tank any chance that movie had, right? Right. Like, this isn't the same thing. This is like them being more similar to the organic Snyder Cut. Or the, the Deadpool thing. Where it's like, this is what we have. Would you like to see it? We're gonna selectively leak these action sequences that look really cool. We're going to selectively send out these stills. We're going to say these things on Twitter. And I guess the aim would be to get the the regime to reverse course and decide that this is this should be put out there in some form. Whether that be HBO Max or theatrical or whatever. Put it out there. You know, just forget about the tax write-off. Take, take the loss and just put it out there because you're taking too much of a PR hit. And there is a world in which I can see them mounting enough public relations pressure to make that happen. Uh, but this regime, as we talked at length on last week's episode, this regime seems very, very much um, in the in the camp of austerity and budget and profitability margins. And if they have an opportunity to make their books a little bit better by saving on this, then it looks like that's what they're going to do. So I don't think that the campaign will ultimately be successful, but I understand why they're waging the campaign. I mean, another part of, you know, doing this campaign, this is the most anybody has talked about Batgirl since, you know, since they announced the movie. It's probably more talk about it more so now than when it was first announced. Wasn't, uh, Nicole Perlman attached to the movie at one point, and Joss Whedon was also supposed to direct. That was bef- that was before we got to this point. Um, I think that like when they officially announced Joss doing Justice League, somewhere around there they said Joss Whedon's going to be doing a Batgirl movie, and then I think Perlman got attached to it sometime after that. So you're looking at between 2017 and 2019. This and movie, and that would be right about the time Josh ran into his own right uh, misogynistic issues, right? And then this movie sprang about. Uh, I think they announced this. Um, I mean, twenty twenty at the late at the latest, but it's probably like early last year. In they, the fandom, uh, maybe fandom, maybe maybe. Uh, but it, I think once Josh got separated, it became. I don't know if it became this or like they just dropped it and then somebody said, hey, let's do this, this thing with Batgirl. So I don't think they're, you know, these projects with these characters, they all kind of when they're in development, they all kind of meld together when people drop off and drop on. But I think these were essentially two different projects because uh, I'm pretty sure Joss Whedon's would have been theatrical 
And then, yeah, this would have had to happen in 20, somewhere 2020, because that's when the push for all the streaming stuff happened. So, but now you have everybody talking about it because everybody's bashing Warner Brothers and the, 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 like the linchpin, the, the, the uh, patron saint of everything that's wrong with Warner Brothers became this Batgirl movie. So now you have a whole lot of attention on it. And you could, if, some people would say we can use this attention to actually build the reception to this movie, get people, get butts in seats if you want to do theatrical or drive people to actually seek it out on the streamer to justify it. Um, and the, I, because of the tax situation, I think I don't think that's I just don't think it's possible for them to do it because they've already kind of written themselves in the corner, especially since they said it in that investor call. It's not like some presentation of fans. It's the investors. It's the people that have money in, in involved in this company. And you said we have X amount of money that we're trying to clear up. And this is the X, Y, and Z way that we're going to do it. So forget Whatever fans want, forget whatever the artists want. Dollars and cents, people said, we're doing this to cover our butts on this other thing. That That's kind of the end of it. I, I don't see any other way out of it. So, so let's talk about, um, let's talk about the decision that was finally put out into the ether that uh, Ezra Miller's The Flash may or may not happen and is currently under scrutiny. How long how long did this take, Chad? Because like it seems to me the only reason they did this was people were finally pointing out how ridiculous it was that he he keeps getting arrested and stories keep coming out <laughs> at like a Brett Ratner mm-hmm. uh you know uh Brian Singer type level and nothing is being said about it by the studio. Um so I th- uh, it's so hard to tell whether decisions of revolving around the Flash and Ezra Miller. And I think we got the the article that we got about their weighing three different options on Friday, and I think we got that because the day after the investor call, where Zaslav stood up, stood up there and said, um, "The Flash is still happening. is It's really good. We believe in things that we're going to release." The day after that more allegations about Ezra Miller dropped. And I think that's what prompted people to start at like that combined with Batgirl, which has done nothing offensive to anybody is really cheap compared to, to the flash got scrapped, but all of this is happening over here and you're still saying you're going to keep going on. And then the day after you say that the, the star does more stuff that that is very questionable. So I think that is um so I think that is why that article happened and and it, it's for DC it's logical. The Ezra, Ezra Miller situation has finally been commented on by Warner Brothers not properly but rather in an article dropped in the trades where it's like we're considering our options. And not like directly like we abhor what our star is doing. We have serious concerns for Ezra and the people around him. Yada yada. No kind of like sincere, honest statement. Just a thing in the trades going. Eh, we're weighing our options. Well, I. So I think we the the trades thing it makes sense because again they can put this out without officially saying anything and people know they're at least thinking about it. And it's you know. It's the options that we all knew were there anyway. It's well, with the caveat that we most people didn't think of options involving um, Ezra getting help and committing to getting help. And then what happens after that falls with me. But essentially is Ezra gets agrees to get help. They'll proceed with the movie anyway. Uh, Ezra does not proceed to get help. Um, they proceed with the movie anyway, don't have anything to do with him, or they scrap the movie. That's pretty much the three options that they're considering, and that's pretty much the options that people um, that have been following this have come that, that comes to terms. They're the obvious options. So by you know by leaking this to the trades, it 
it gets part of the monkey off their back because it's like, okay, they are actually thinking and considering things and they see what he, they see what they are doing and they're not going to just stand by and like condone it more or less. But like you said, they haven't had any full throated what uh, these allegations are reprehensible because at this point, yes, they are still allegations, uh, but they can still say these allegations are, are reprehensible and we want to get to the, the bottom of this as much as you do and we want to make sure that the people involved if these allegations turn out to have any truth to them we want to make sure all the people involved are taken care of and get the help that they need not only for the star Ezra but for the people that have been involved with them as well and we want to make sure that that happens first and foremost and what happens with the movie is secondary to that that's the kind of full throated thing that they could say and actually saying, I think saying it like that would buy them a whole lot more time. But Warner Brothers, and again, and it's kind of weird because it's a new regime, but this is how Warner Brothers always operates. They're, they give things to the trades. The trades are their mouthpiece. Uh, and that has come back to bite them in the butt because there's no unified voice when it comes to these, like, with a statement like this, it's clear that it's somebody from the top saying, go tell them this. But then there's so many other leaks and sieves and Warner Brothers. They run to the trades and the trades are like, well, we know these things are to be true because you told us other stuff. And then and they run it and that causes all kind of confusion to say that this is a new regime. You would think that maybe they would be like, let's just go with a statement. But no, they're still doing the old playbook of the trades are our um our, our, talk, our talking heads. So, I, I mean, it for it to come up again, it hasn't given us any outside of Ezra. The it seems like maybe they've spoken to Ezra and that Ezra is open to getting help. Uh, outside of that, there's no new information, and I have to wonder about the open to them being open to getting help because. Everything that I've heard makes it seem like uh, they're still out there doing other things. So, uh, yeah, Warner Brothers is in a bad spot. They have a bad situation that they inadvertently make probably make worse instead of, you know, taking somebody showing some leadership and taking some ownership and giving a statement that will probably benefit them in the future with this. Okay, so like my thing. My thing totally is this. Um, when you leak something to the trades, it's because you want it out there. And I think that they finally reached a tipping point after Comic-Con and after the, their presentation where people were starting to actively talk about The Flash and how weird that was going to be. And at the same time, after Comic-Con, a lot of the news and details the CD details started coming out about what they were doing and people were looking at that and it was kind of like an Ar Arnie Hammer territory where it's like, um, yo, so, um, this guy's going to be in a movie and you're going to put him on the press tour and this is going to be a thing that's going to happen. And they're just like, no comment. We are not talking about the flash movie. There was no flash presence at the panel at comic con. They've done nothing to it. And so I think what they felt that they were starting to feel the pressure of having to comment in some capacity about this so that they they could stop being painted as being ignorant or being, you know, ill-informed about what's going on. So this is their way of basically saying we are aware of the public relations situation. Just forget the actual person themselves and, you know, their their emotional and mental state and all the things that they're doing. From a public relations standpoint, we understand that we're that this is a thing that is happening. We understand that he is going to be involved in the film and the promotional material uh, tour. Uh, these are the things that we're considering in terms of the film, and we will make a decision shortly, basically. And as you put it on Twitter, it's a bit of a gam they're choosing to take the gambling route because you're gambling that they will not do something worse 
or do something even more crazy or do something that they get arrested for and a superseding indictment shows that there's even more crazy stuff. Like, they're taking the risk that Ezra doesn't make things worse for himself. For themselves. And um, I think that that's a huge risk to take, honestly. Um, but I also think that they're in a, the no-win position of they've been talking about Flashpoint since 2016. They desperately want a, re- a hard reset. They don't necessarily know what to do without releasing this movie. And so they're kind of in this position where they feel they have to release the movie, but they also don't want to have to deal with the PR firestorm of this giving this guy more money and more attention by putting a film out that he's in. So, like, I don't envy the position that the marketing team is in, the director and the actors who worked with him who were in this position where their livelihoods are on the line because of something stupid he did. And... You know, I don't envy the studio heads who have to make a decision about a film of this size. Ultimately, the biggest issue you have here is the budget. It's it's an over $200 million budget. And as we've covered extensively in the last three episodes, dudes, austerity-driven, budget-driven, profit margins, revenue-dependent uh, guy. And if that's the situation, you're not just going to take $200 million and flush it down the toilet Unless you absolutely have to. Because you ain't taking no tax write-off on the Flash. There's no tax write-off that's going to make that negative $200 disappear. Which is probably realistically going to end up being closer to two and a half or three. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody that I just named off is in a bad position. I hate it for everybody. Um, And I just really don't know what they're going to do. Because to me, the obvious choice is to flush the movie. And if you flush the movie, then you're opening yourself up to lawsuits because people like Michael Keaton can turn around and sue you because, you know, as we saw with Scarlett Johansson, now eventually Scar Joe and Disney made up and Disney was like, we'll give you some more roles and here's some extra money. And she was like, okay, thank you. But I'm pretty sure Michael Keaton wouldn't be as uh, kind uh, to Warners considering that he had made this an effort to come back as his Batman and to see fan reaction. And if Batgirl and the Flash don't get released, no one ever sees his interpretation. So I can't imagine he'd be deferential in terms of filing a lawsuit. So on, on on his point, I think once you see all the things going on with Ezra, I think he would be... You can probably compel him to not outright sue you and come to come some sort of settlement and be like, this isn't us. This isn't like us. This isn't us making a selfish studio decision. This is us saying bye bye to all this money because our star can't get his act right or get their act right. So I think he'd be more amenable to like some sort of settlement. Now, that is that's probably before the whole. Batgirl situation, which um, someone brought it up. Like Keaton was talking, Keaton talked about it somewhere, and he, the the whole reason he came back to be Batman was he he said he wanted to see what the what the fans said, and as of now, the whole reason he wants to do it is being taken away from him because fans don't get to say because they're not seeing they're not seeing the first thing he was in, and the second one is in jeopardy. So, and as we, he, and as I mean, we covered if he on wants, last week's podcast, it looks because of the release calendar shift that they're replacing him with Ben Affleck's version of Batman and Aquaman. So he won't even get additional correct. places to show up. Correct. So, um, yeah, I, I think he. So I think he would. I think you can make him understand the Aquaman thing, and that's just a timing issue. When they originally shot it. It was before, it was after the Flash. Now it's before the Flash. There's confusion, so they had to reshoot it. I think you can make him understand that. I think you can make him understand with a lot of money that they're they're pulling the Flash because of what's going on with Ezra. That's be out of there's outside of their controls, but it's in bad taste for them to release the movie. And I think he would understand that. 
I think if you take because of what happened with Batgirl, you took that out for strictly selfish reasons and combine that with all the other things, he has every right to be completely and totally pissed off. How much does he want to razz them? I don't know. Um, he seems like a, uh, he actually seems like a fairly reasonable person. Yeah, and ScarJo was reasonable too. I mean, ScarJo was just pissed off because she had spent, like this was going to be her swan song as Black Widow. She had been fighting for this movie to be made pretty much since 2012 on. Like, she had extended a lot of her personal producer capital to get it done. And then, it, you know, something that's completely out of everybody's control happens. And the movie gets pushed back by a year and ends up in theaters in May of 21 instead of May of 20. And ends up day, day and date with Disney+. Plus. Um, you know, so, or what was it, a month? I, I can't remember if it was day and date or if they were, it's like two weeks or whatever. But, like... Or, or did they go strictly Disney Plus with Black Widow? No, no, no. They did, um, I think it was Day and Date. Yeah. They did Day and Date. And, uh, you know, she she had a right to be upset about that. And she leveraged that situation to her advantage. And I'm sure if Keaton wants to, he can leverage this situation to his, to his benefit. Yeah, I get it. It's a, a court, Again, it's something that's outside the studio's control. Uh, but at the same time, you're taking something from him that he will never be able to do again. Like right. he's advanced in age. It's not like he can turn right around and come back and do this, play this guy again in five years. Like he had been gone from the role for 30 years and he was coming back to it, uh, which was in and of itself ironic, given that he made a movie in that t- in the interim called Birdman, which basically crapped all over the whole experience of making superhero movies. Mm-hmm. But like. I just feel like the most reasonable thing to do is to flush the movie. If you're not going to flush the movie, do no press for it. Don't don't make your director go out there and answer questions about why the star isn't here or what it was like, what Ezra's behavior was like on set or this, that, or the other thing. Just do a small press tour, a limited junket, if any junket, and put the movie in theaters and see what you make. Um, that's in, and you, you lead the marketing that does exist. You lead it with Affleck and Keaton. Well, I, what, what I ultimately think is going to happen is that they're going to release the movie. Uh, I think they, the gamble they're taking on as we're getting help. Um, I mean, I think, I think also, I think what they want is Ezra to agree to go get help. Ezra goes, get help. Ezra comes out from getting help and, Issues a statement about yeah, his, and they use the they use they use the press tour as a rehabilitation. No, 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 no. You still don't put Ezra out there. You have, but you have his statement of like contrition and saying that he's seeking help and whatnot. And then you can have the press tour that focuses on Keaton and uh, Sasha Kelly and the director. And when, before you put them in front of anybody. The uh, the press agent that's always there is going to tell everybody that comes in. Everything about Ezra was said in the statement. Do not ask them about Ezra. And th- they'll, they'll skate along with their press tour that way. Focusing on Keaton, having Ezra's press, ha- having Ezra's statement. Ezra stepped out of the light and is not doing anything so they can get through this movie. That is their hope. Um, I don't think it's their reality because that that reality depends on what Ezra wants to do. And they made it seem like Ezra's open to seeking help. I just don't know if Ezra really is open to seeking help right now. And I think they're going to get to a point where it's like, is he really going to seek help or not? And they're going to have to pull the trigger either way. And I think they'll pull the trigger on releasing the movie. And they'll still try to control the Ezra questions, but they won't have that that good uh, contrite statement from Ezra that would that would at least satiate a lot of people asking the hard questions. What happens if he goes to jail between now and then? Ooh, um, well, one, I think that I think for that to happen, you're putting a whole lot of faith in our legal system to actually keep up with that, you know, speedy trial thing. 
But in we got we've got like eight months for that to happen. Um, they just have to arrest him. They don't necessarily well, yeah. have to put him on trial. They can just arrest him, uh, put a arrest warrant out for his arrest, as he if he's ends up being indicted for any of the stuff that he's been. True, true. Right before you said, that, I'm like, okay, there is a difference between going to jail and being arrested. If he's arrested, I think they can still make. I think they can still make arrests work, depending on what he's arrested for. <laughs> the absurdity of the statement, sir. Yes, um, I mean he. Didn't he just get arrested? Like, I, I, but whatever. Uh, I, it's hard to keep up because there's really the, is. It's so much. There, there's the domestic violence is the, the domestic di- uh, disturbance in Hawaii. There's the assault in Hawaii. There's the cult, the grooming underage children for sex cult in, in Iceland. Um, it's all kinds of crazy stuff. Like I said, it's, it's borderline Brett Ratner, uh, you know, Brian Singer territory as far as like shadiness of the stuff. Yeah. Like, cause he's already been arrested, but that was like in April and it was on some, uh, I don't think it was a felony kind of thing. So in the event, I'm not about to find an article to read to understand it. So if he's arrested and it's like what he was arrested in Hawaii for, which wasn't that big of an issue. I mean, it's an issue, but not like a felony type of issue. They can still, they'll still push forward. If he's arrested for a felony, particularly since the latest allegations involve children, there are any felony charges that involve anything with minors. It's a whole different ball of wax. I don't see how you can in good conscience release the movie. If that's the case, but I again, it depends on when he gets arrested. I think if he gets, if if that were to go down between like now and say November, I th- they would have enough time to pull the movie if that were the case. If it happens after the first of the year, the wheels are probably in motion and they're going to release the movie regardless. So between now and November, at least they would have a choice to make. I still don't think they'll make the right one. But after the first of the year, if it happened, it's too late. It's, it's a it's a big it's a big ass ship and you can't turn it on a dime. Well, let's hope that, that ship doesn't hit an iceberg on its way to harbor. That, that they are praying. They are praying that they miss all these icebergs. All right. Um so Chad, your favorite movie of all time is Avatar. It has a sequel coming out in December called Avatar The Way of Water. In order to get people excited for The Way of Water, Disney is re-releasing Avatar in IMAX. Tell me, sir, what are your box office projections for an IMAX re-release on 2,000 screens of Avatar? I mean, it'll make... um, I I wish I... New um, re-release numbers off the top of my head, but it'll probably make like a million, two million, somewhere along those lines because that movie is made to see on the big screen. It's made to see on the big screen with 3D, and if they're re-releasing it that way, the people that really love the movie, um, and not even, and the people, the people that really love seeing the movie on the big screen, not just the original fans, but people that like, maybe not like the movie, but saw it on the big screen and can appreciate what it is there. I think they will all go to it. So it will, it'll get a decent number. Um, and I mean, it's a good idea to promote the movie because again, Avatar is 13, 14 years old. Uh, it's, it has a presence in pop culture zeitgeist. Honestly, I think it's gotten more infused in the zeitgeist in like the last couple of years than anything since it was in theaters. I think a big part of that has to be uh, to do with um, the whole theme park thing at Disney World, which is, you know, that you know how they make that immersive stuff. And that ride that I didn't get to ride uh, is really cool and people like it. 
and the other ride with the 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 really um freaky animatronic thing is really lifelike and immersive. So I think making that part that the theme park part of that, I think that has bumped it up in the consciousness. But I still don't know if it's enough it's not enough to move the needle where it's like, oh yeah, Avatar Avatar is going to do the same numbers it did last time. I don't think that's the case. So re- this re-release driving home, at least in, hopefully igniting the spark of people that enjoyed it so much in the theater and made it the phenomenon it was in the theater, I think is a good idea. But it's a re-release, so it's not going to make stupid numbers. It, like two million is probably capping out where it's at. What do you think ends up making more money? No Way Home, the more fun cut or Avatar? Ooh, um, probably Avatar. Um, it's been longer. Again, the whole the that medium is what that movie was built for, and you know, Spider Man. It's it's newer. People, more people have seen it more recently. It's on at this point. It's on. It's not streaming on the streaming service, but it's on. Well, actually, if you have stars, it is streaming on stars. So it's streaming. It's available streaming. It's been out for a while. I think Avatar will beat Spider-Man in that regard. Sounds good. And that'll about do it for this week's episode. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at OnTheBrainPod. And I am at BCW Tiger Fan. At the Mitch Theory. Thank you very much. And this is your reminder that we're three weeks away from Mark Sanchez returning to call football games. It will be a wonderful day when Mark Sanchez called, does color commentary for NFL games again. Thank I mean, you very he's, much. He's good at it. Way. That's fine. Have a pleasant week.